What did I invest my time in, my treasure in? Guys, I want to talk to you today about your legacy. Your life will affect future generations. And so I want to fast forward to the end of your life, whether that's today, we don't know, could be years from now. But I want you to think about if we were sitting at your funeral and, and your body is gone and you're laying in the casket, but your spirit's alive. And so as the family comes in, you go and you sit with the family and the minister stands up and, and the minister says something nice. If it's me, I'll try to find something nice to say about you. But that's not really what's even important to you. What's important to you is what your children say. As they file one by one to the microphone, you can't wait to hear what they have to say because your life is going to be reflected in the words. If you've lived life as a successful dad, they're going to talk about the blessings that you have given them, the way you have impacted future generations. All of those things are positive things. So, guys, if, if you've not lived that type of life today, I want you to start today. It's never too late. You may think it's too late to, to make up lost time. You can't make up lost time, but you can make plans in the future to be a better dad, to move towards your daughters, towards your sons. It is your responsibility. Now, their decisions aren't your responsibility. Your decisions are your responsibility. Every Everyone who is a, a parent who's watched a child go away and do stupid things hurts every day. I'm not talking about you being responsible for their decisions to walk away from you, maybe to walk away from your family, from your faith. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you pursue a relationship with your child for the sake of future generations. Regardless of what the past has been, today can be that day that you become a better dad. We're going to look at some uh, clips from the movie Braveheart. And and how many guys like Braveheart? Yeah, it's just... Ugh. Freedom! We're not even using that clip today. Um, because what I wanted to do was I wanted to look at the movie from the perspective of dads. And there's some good dads in the movie, and there's some sorry dads in the movie. We're going to start out with a clip from uh, William Wallace's life, and we're going to see his dad have a positive influence on him. But, of course, his dad dies when he's very young. He has an uncle, an uncle come and raises him and educates him and all that stuff. But we're going to see two clips just put together very quickly. One is when William Wallace is a child. The second one is when he is an adult and he's come back to live at the place where his daddy raised him. Watch these. It's right! We fight them! Every nobleman who had a will to fight was at that meeting! We cannot beat an army! Oh, with the 50 farmers, we can raise... And we do not have to beat them! Just fight them. Now, who's with me? I am! I am Wallace. All right, all right. Hey, don't Where do you think you're going? I'm going with you. Oh, you're going with me, eh? And what are you going to do? I'm going to help. Hey, <laughs> and a good help you be too. But I need you to stay here and look after the place for me while I'm away. I can fight. I know. I know you can fight. 
but it's our wits that make us men. See you tomorrow. Sir, I know it was strange of me to invite Mullen to ride last night, but I assure you, I... McClanoff's uh... daughter is another matter. I come to fetch you to a meeting. What kind of meeting? The secret kind. Your meetings are a waste of time, Campbell. Your father was a fighter. And a patriot. I know who my father was. I came back home to raise crops, and God willing... A family. If I can live in peace, I will. You say you want to stay out of the troubles? Aye. If you can prove it, you may court my daughter. Until you prove it, my answer is no. No. No, Walla. No. Didn't I just prove it? No. 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 A couple of lines in there I like. My favorite was, I know who my father was. And he said, your father was a fighter and a patriot. William Wallace says, I know who my father was. My father was a fighter and a patriot. He's in World War II, um, served on Guadalcanal. Still struggles um, with, with, with feelings of distrust of the country of Japan. Because he was bombed. They were supposed to, when he went on, he was CB's uh, construction battalion. When he, when he went over there... They had the, the island under control. He said all that meant was we had the perimeter and there were still pockets we had to drive out. And dad would run and jump in foxholes at night when there would be air raid sirens and he actually became a Christian in a foxhole. Um, he told me that when they would be standing in, in line for, uh, for chow, that, uh, there were times that he watched people fall over dead because there was a sniper and they had to, to fan out and, and find the sniper. You couldn't, you couldn't salute someone because then the enemy would know who um, who the, the folks in charge were and they would obviously target them. I know I know who my father was, but but that wasn't all there was to my dad. Uh, I went home this last Tuesday and Wednesday just to just to hang out with dad. Dad's 87. I don't know how many more years he's going to be around. He doesn't feel well, but dad still thinks he's young enough to get up on scaffolding. He has scaffolding at the front and it's taken him like six weeks to paint a four foot square foot area. Um, but you know, he was fretting about all this stuff. So I flew up to, to hang out with him and I went and got him a card at Walmart and I won't tell you what the card was. It's, it, it fits my dad, but not necessarily appropriate for church. Um, dad laughs at the card and he starts to put it up and I said, dad, aren't you going to read what I wrote? And so he said, okay. And so he reads it. And, uh, what I said was, I'm lucky to have a dad like you. Uh, I said, you're a man of great strength and, and great honor. And he said, well, my strength's not there. And he only says that occasionally, usually, I'm just as strong now as I used to be, you know, that type of deal. Um, I said, you have blessed me, and you've blessed, because I have two brothers and a sister that are older than me, I said, you've blessed future generations because you taught us to be a man of integrity and, and um, 
a man that, that works hard. When I think about dad, so I wrote all these things down and dad read it and, and he's, he's standing in the room. I was, I was typing some stuff on the computer at the time. And so he's standing in this room and he reads it and he gets tears in his eyes and he goes, that's a good one. And, and then he said, I'm going to have to hang that one on the wall for a while. <laughs> and, uh, then there was this kind of awkward silence and, and I told Janie before I went home that, that I actually had one purpose. Um, I said, Dad, I need to ask you a question. I went home several years ago just to make sure my dad was a Christian. Well, I said, Dad, I need to ask you a question. He said, go ahead. I said, are you proud of me? Because even a 44-year-old kid needs to hear it from his dad. And this look of shock came on dad's face, and he goes, you shouldn't even have to ask that. I said, Daddy, I know you've shown me that you're proud of me, but you've never told me. He looked down and he said, my daddy never told me. My mom either. And I said, really? He goes, yeah. And so he, that was awkward silence, and he, he said, um, he goes, yes, son, I'm very proud of you. I'm proud of all my children. And uh, I knew he was, but to hear him say it, I wanted the verbal blessing of my daddy. And many of you want that too, and you may never get it. Um, but if you were here a few weeks ago when we did the Few Good Men series, why does a 44-year-old kid, man, who still feels like a child sometimes, why did he long to hear the verbal blessing of his dad? Well, I'll just remind you of the verse we went over several weeks ago. Proverbs 17.6 says, Grandchildren are the crown of old men. And the glory of sons is their fathers. Now, I know this is a very touchy subject on Father's Day. Many of you have never received a verbal blessing from your dad and it's haunted you. And if your dad is still alive, I want to challenge you. See, I'm, I'm just one of those people that years ago I decided I was going to tell my parents I loved them just because I thought, I'm not going to be one of those folks at the funeral that says, my dad never told me he loved me. And, you know, just the other day it hit me. I'd never heard dad say he was proud of me. So I thought, I'm just going to ask him. <laughs> I don't know what I'd have said if he just said no. Um, I'd have gone back to recovery. I'd be back in recovery this week. Um, but I decided I was going to ask him and I challenge you. I have never understood why people allow little things to become big things and they don't talk about them. That just doesn't resonate with me. The Bible's very clear. If you have a problem with someone, you go to someone and you talk to them and you work things out. That just makes sense to me. And so if your dad's still alive and you've never received a verbal blessing, let me give you a couple of pointers. Do not go in and say, Dad, you're sorry. That doesn't work. But when, when I went to talk to my dad about his, his faith in Jesus Christ, I said, Daddy, I gotta know. And I don't want to, I, I don't want to dishonor you in any way. And he said, you can't dishonor me. And I thought, well, yeah, I can. But he was, he was just saying, if I come to him in the right spirit, I can ask my dad anything. I think I'm the same way. You come to me in the right spirit, you can ask me anything. So if your dad's still alive, go to him in the right spirit and just say, Dad, I need to hear a couple of words from you. It may be, do you love me, Dad? You've shown me, but I hadn't heard it. And it may be, Dad, are you proud of me? Now, some of you, your fathers are gone and, and you can never hear those words. So let me give you a suggestion. Instead of dwelling on the, those words you've never heard, why not turn to God, your father, 
Let me show you a couple of verses from Scripture. First John 3, 1 says, What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We are called children of God. If you are a Christ follower, you have been adopted into His family. You ask Christ to forgive your sins and be the leader of your life. He adopts you into His family. It says you are called a child of God. Now look what Psalm 68, 5 says. God is the Father to the fatherless. That's not just talking about orphans whose, whose parents have died. That's talking about folks whose parents maybe have abandoned their parental roles and specifically fathers who have abandoned their roles. Your heavenly father is crazy about you. If he had a wallet, your picture would be in it. If he had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. And and your life, your heavenly father is standing on the sidelines cheering louder than anyone else because he desperately wants you to know that no matter what happens, He is for you. And the Bible tells us that if God is for us, who can be against us? So receive that from your, your Heavenly Father. William Wallace had a good father. He only had him for a few years. He had, he had an uncle, Argyle, who came and poured into his life. But there are a couple of examples of sorry dads. And, and I want to watch one of those. Check this out. Rotting. I think your face looks grayer than mine. Son. I must have alliance with England to prevail here. You achieved that. You saved your family. Increased your land. In time, you will have all the power in Scotland. Lands, titles, men, power, nothing. Nothing? I have nothing. Men fight for me, because if they do not, I throw them off my land and I starve their wives and their children. Those men who bled the ground red at Falkirk, they fought for William Wallace, and he fights for something that I've never had. And I took it from him when I betrayed him, and I saw it in his face on the battlefield. And it's tearing me apart. Well, all men betray. All lose heart. I don't want to lose heart! I want to believe as he does. I will never be on the wrong side again. If only it were as easy to, to just tell our kids what they need to do. But our actions speak so loudly that many times our kids don't hear what we're saying. Our children are going to wake up one day if we're not careful. If we're going our own way, our children are going to wake up one day and say, this way leads to nothing. Money, power, toys, happiness, nothing. 
we we've got to to train our kids not to put themselves first because that's what in America especially we you are number one look out for number one we teach them to seek pleasure above all things and to keep their promises only when it's convenient but they will wake up one day and say man this is nothing see when I obey God I am never wrong when I am selfish and I, I try to do things that please me to hell with my family, I am always wrong when I put myself first. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at a, one of my favorite passages, and it's when Joshua was about to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And they've already come across the flooded Jordan River, and they're in, they're at Gilgal, and one night they're trying to figure out how to take this walled city named Jericho. He has no idea. God's not spoken to him. And he gets up one night, he's walking around, and he comes across this, this army man. And, and he walks up and he says, because the army man's dressed and he has his sword out. And so Joshua's thinking, if you're one of the Israelites, you're in trouble because you're walking around when you're not supposed to. You need to get back to camp. If you're, if you're an enemy, I'm ready to fight you. So he walks up and he says, are you for us or against us? Now, at that time, he didn't know who the, the stranger was. He just knew that there was a situation he needed to confront. And he walks up and, and the guy goes, no. Are you for us or against us? No. He says, as captain of the Lord's army, I have now come. You see, God does not choose your side. There the, the Bruce says, I will never be on the wrong side again. We have a choice whose side we're going to be on. God doesn't choose our side. There, there's no such thing as a church in Palestine where God says, oh, I'm going to be on that church's side. That's not the issue. The issue is whether the church is on God's side. And you can see the blessings of God for those people who are obedient to him. You can see the cursings of God for those who have left God and have their little pet projects of what they're trying to defend. My turf, my territory. No, God does not choose sides. God takes charge. We have to choose which side we are on. And dads, you are created by God to be the spiritual leader in the home. You may turn your back on that role, but that's what God created you to be. And your children will suffer if you turn your back on that role. Here's another dad who had some jacked up priorities. William Wallace killed 50 men. 50 effort was won. A hundred men. With his own sword. Cut through them like Moses through the Red Sea. Legend grows. It will be worse than before. He rallies new volunteers in every Scottish town. And when he replenishes his number... The sheep! The mere sheep! <laughs> Easily dispersed if we strike the shepherd. Very well. Pick a flock of your finest assassins and set a meeting. <laughs> My lord, Wallace is renowned for his ability to smell an ambush. If what 
Lord Hamilton tells me is correct. He warned to our future queen and would trust her. So we'll dispatch her with the notion that she comes in peace. My lord, the princess might be taken hostage or her life be put in jeopardy. Oh, my son would be most distressed by that. <laughs> but in truth, if she were to be killed, we would soon find the king of France a useful ally against the Scots. You see, as king, you must find the good in any situation. What a sorry excuse Longshanks was. I just got ticked off. Every time I see it, I just get mad at him. He lies to get what he wants. People are used as pawns to gain advantage. And uh, he has no integrity, no convictions, no compassion. Well, I guess he has convictions. That's to uh, further his own kingdom. Um, he's the polar opposite of Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible actually gives us an example, a comparison between a regular man and Jesus Christ as, as a man. Did you know that there, there are two Adams in the Scripture? You probably know about the first Adam. He was the first man created, and he's called the first Adam. But there is someone called the last Adam, and that is Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you the difference between brave hearts and chicken hearts. Took me about 30 seconds to come up with that one. Um, number one, brave hearts confront problems. Brave hearts confront problems. Now, in the movie, William Wallace obviously has a problem. He says, "If I, can, I will live at peace if I can. They kill his wife, and so he decides, no, I can't. And he rallies people to fight for a cause, to be free. Um, when, when Satan tempted Eve in the Garden of Eden, some of you know this, some of you don't. Uh, where was Adam when she was being tempted? Right there. There's a, there's a, he's got some Bible background. The Bible tells us that, that after Eve gave in, she turned to Adam who was with her the whole time, offers him the apple, he eats. Now, to whom was the, the command given, do not eat of the fruit from this one tree? Adam. Eve was not even created yet. So then, whose responsibility was it to tell Eve about the command? Adams, whose responsibility was it to be the leader of the family to step in and confront the problem? That's why. Yeah, y'all didn't say that with much conviction. Adam. <laughs> Satan. Um, it was Adam's responsibility. From the beginning, men have been created as the spiritual leaders. It does not mean we are superior to women. We have a different role than women, but we are the spiritual leaders in the home. Now, if you contrast this with, with Jesus Christ, you see how Jesus responds to problems. Look what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 15. The first man was named Adam. And the scriptures tell us that he was a living person. But Jesus, who may be called the last Adam, is a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. So you've got, you've got something going on here. Adam was a natural man. He was created, um, and, and so when we think about Adam and all of the desires he has, the sin that he had, all of that came from natural desires. Any sin that we have usually is something that is good that Satan takes and tries to get us to do in a perverted way. So um, the first Adam was a natural man. The second Adam was Jesus Christ. He was a supernatural man. There was a huge difference. What did Adam do when, when Eve was confronted with a problem? 
He stood by passively, refused to confront the problem, refused to step forward and say, get out of here, Satan or serpent. He might not have recognized Satan at that point, but he knew the command of God. He stood by passively. He rejected his his uh, duty to be a leader in his home. Contrast that with Jesus Christ. What did Jesus Christ do? And by the way, if you want a great reference to just read today, Philippians 2, 4 through 11, it says that Jesus Christ was God. But when he saw sin confronting humans and destroying humans, he gave up all the rights of being God. Now, you take whatever title you want, pope or king or or prime minister or bishop or president, whatever, whatever title you want. Jesus was above all of those, gave it all up to put on skin. To, to enter the womb of a peasant girl. To suffer snotty noses. So that he could grow up and be a sinless man. And then, then when he was given the job by God to die on the cross. Actually, he knew that when he came. He prayed in the garden. Oh, God, if it is possible. I don't want to do this. But not my will, but yours be done. He confronted the problem. Brave hearts do what is right regardless of the cost. It may not be popular with my children for me to discipline them. There's a difference in discipline and punishment. Punishment has all to do, I'm going to get you back for what you did. Discipline has everything to do with, I'm going to make sure you learn from this experience so you don't do this again in the future. Discipline is about future um, activities. And, and I may not be my kids' friends when I discipline them, but guess what? That is not who God created me to be. My parents and I have a great relationship today. I'm 44. I don't need a parent anymore. I need to be a parent to my children. When they become adults, responsible adults, which is part of my responsibility, is to mold them and shape them, then we can be friends. I'm not supposed to be my son's buddy. I love him and we hang out together, we do things together, but I am not his buddy, I'm his daddy. Second thing that brave hearts do is accept responsibility. Now, I'm going to go through these real quickly, and, and I want you to write these down. These are on your listening guide. God gave Jesus Christ three things that a man is supposed to do. Three things, three responsibilities that Jesus Christ accepted. First responsibility was a will to obey. God said, I have a will for your life, Jesus. Will you obey it? Jesus had a choice whether he was going to obey it or not. You and I have a choice whether we're going to obey God or not as well. He gave him a work to do. You know what Jesus' work was to do? Redeem the lost world. Come and save humanity. He put it out there. The salvation is there, but you have to accept it. And the third thing was, he gave him a woman to love. Some of you are going, What is the church called? The bride of Christ. See, I believe God has given every man the same thing. A will to obey. God has a will for your life. His will is so much bigger, so much harder, so much more fulfilling when we follow it than your plan. The reason I know that is because I followed my plan. And I wake up miserable when I follow my plan. I wake up with no sense of purpose when I follow my plan. I wake up actually distant from my family when I follow my plan. But when I follow God's plan, I wake up in the morning or I put my head down on the pillow at night and I feel a sense of purpose. I have done what you commanded me to do, God. Whether that's be a good dad and hang out with my kids. Whether that's talk to some of you all if you've got things that are heavy on your mind. Whether that's do counseling or do weddings or do funerals. 
Do you know, I usually go home from a funeral and although I may be sad about the person who has died, if I've done what God created me to do, which is honor that fa- that person that's died as much as I can, but then to talk about the future world because this world is not all there is, if I've done that, I go home and I sleep at night because I said, God, I did what you told me to do. I let everybody who's alive know there's a life after death. And I told them how they could get there. So, God, it's in your hands. When you do what God created you to do, you have a sense of fulfillment. When you lie down, when you get up. And and I believe that God has given me a woman to love. Her name is Janie. And see, my son needs to know that you got to work hard in life. No, Nobody's going to give you anything. I want him to know that God has given him a work to do, a will to obey. And someday there's a woman that's going to come along. And I, I hit my knees often praying for that woman. Because she'll be coming home for Christmas with him. Yeah, it does affect me. But I pray that he will. And, and I tell you this all the time. I pray that my kids will only find attractive someone who loves Jesus Christ. Because life's too short to be fighting about which church you're going to go to and whether you go to church. Life's too short for that trash. And I desperately want my girls to know what a man after God's own heart looks like. And I'm not saying I'm that man. I try to be. But I paint a picture. (laughs) Because I want my girls... And by the way, God's not going to waste a righteous woman on a sorry man. You notice I never talk to uh, moms like this on Mother's Day. I am too smart for that. I can get by talking to men like this. There's a third thing that brave hearts do, and they plan for the future. I fully expect new life to continue after I die. I fully expect that. But even more important than new life carrying on after I die is my children following Christ. When each of them was born, we started praying for the day they would surrender their hearts to Christ. We started praying actually for this church before long before we were we came out of a traditional church. Didn't even have a clue that we were going to do this in Palestine. We just knew that God was calling us to do something that was different, something that was real and relevant. Because we discovered in our church work, I don't know if you've discovered this, we discovered that every person who comes to church has skeletons in their closet Every person who comes to church is a sinner. Did you know that? Every person who comes to church struggles, has hurts and habits and hang-ups. We discovered that. But we also discovered that when people came to church, they pretended they didn't. And we used to pray and, and sit around and talk about that at night and go, isn't that the weirdest thing you've ever seen? The one place where everyone should be able to be real and be loved right where they are? is the one place that don't tell anyone about my past because I don't want to be judged. William Wallace is faced with a dilemma. He can risk it all to win freedom or he can play it safe. Watch what he does. You do know it's a trap. Hell of I think if the Bruce wanted to kill you, he'd have done it already at Falcon. I, I know. I saw Leaving him aside. What about the others? Look at this. We've got to try. 
We can't do this alone. Joining the nobles is the only hope for our people. You know what happens if we don't take that chance? What? Nothing. I don't want to be a martyr. Nor I. I want to live. I want a home and children and peace. Do you? I do. I've asked God for those things. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. That's just a dream, William. A dream? Just a dream. Oh, what have we been doing all this time? We've lived that dream. Your dream isn't about freedom. It's about murren. You're doing this to be a hero because you think she sees you. I don't think she sees me. I know she does. And your father sees you too. come with you? No. I'll go alone. I'll see you after. Right. Sooner rather than later, I hope. A couple of good lines there. One is, we can't do this alone. And guys, I'm just going to tell you, you cannot live the Christian life alone. And and I'm going to tell you something else, a little secret I've learned through the years. Your wife cannot be your accountability partner. Number one, she doesn't understand what you're going through. Number two, besides nagging you a little bit, what, what can she do to get in your face? You need someone who can look at you and say, You're living a lie. You need someone who would say, I love you. We were talking about this last night. We were watching a movie and and, um, I told Caleb, I said, that character was not being a friend because he didn't tell his friend the truth. Bible says that the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. And I explained this to him. I said, what that means is you don't need an enemy sucking up to you, telling you, oh, you're great, you're wonderful. You've got eight million relationships with the opposite sex, but you're okay. It's everyone else that's jacked up. You need someone, men, who will look you in the eye and say, I love you, and you're blowing it. And if you get mad at me, that's fine. But I love you enough that I'm going to tell you the truth. you got to have that. He also said, what happens if we don't risk it? Nothing. So guys, God has this big plan for your life. What happens if you don't risk it? Nothing. There'll be a day that we say goodbye to you and we throw a few dirt clods on your coffin. And, and you'll die and that'll be it. Somebody will come and they'll, they'll visit your grave occasionally. But you've not done anything great, so you've not inspired anything great in your children. Without God's help, all is lost. But with God's help, nothing I do is in vain. Jesus carried out his responsibilities. The last Adam was the perfect example for us to follow. Not because he he didn't recognize there were problems. He fully recognized it. But because he saw something beyond this life. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. 
We are surrounded by a great cloud of people whose lives tell us what faith means. What great cloud of people? Well, if you read in the Bible, there's all kinds. You come talk to me and I'll tell you about folks that were my Sunday school leaders back when I was a child and who loved me and encouraged me. People who went to youth camp with us and loved me and encouraged me. My youth minister who poured his life into me. Two brothers who loved me. We have people who have walked before us who will gladly share their struggles with you. And they will encourage you and pray for you. The Bible's talking about every Christian who's ever lived before us. It says we have this great cloud of people whose lives tell us what faith means. So let us run the race that is before us and never give up. We should remove from our lives anything that would get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect. Now look at this. He suffered death on the cross, but he accept, accepted the what? What is that word there? Actually, in the New American Standard, it does a better job of translating. It says, he despised the shame. There is nothing about the cross that Jesus said, oh, here we go. He despised the shame of the cross. Why? He accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that God put before him. And now he is sitting at the right hand of God's throne. Jesus was given this very specific race to run. You were two men. You have a race that's that's put out before you. And I hate long distance running. I think it's the dumbest thing ever. But we used to have to run in football. You know why? So that we could be ready for the games on Friday night. We used to have to run in baseball so that we could get our legs stronger, pitchers and stuff like that. We used to have to run in track. Why did we run in track? Because we were trying to get to the finish line so we could get that little ribbon. The reason Jesus Christ was able to endure the shame of the cross is because he saw the future reward of heaven. There was a joy so great that he said, I will do anything to experience the joy of my father. And if God would raise up some men in new life in Palestine who said, I'm going to run this race that God has set before me as if it's real because it is. I'm going to pour my life into things that matter that will last beyond me. My children, it's not your job. It's not your house. Pour your life into your children. Pour your life into things of God. And there will be a day when you enter into heaven and your heavenly father will say, well done. Dad was trying to paint the house when I was home visiting him. I'm not exaggerating. My dad walks with a cane. I said, Daddy, how are you going to get up the ladder? Slowly. I said, why don't, why don't I paint for you, Dad? Oh, no, you, you came to see me. I said, Daddy, I'm going to paint for you. And it's a brick house, and so it's just the eaves. You know, it's just the trim work. And so he comes out and he sits down and watches me. He said, I'm just going to watch this. Okay, Dad. And I got this long extension. I don't even have to get up on the ladder. I've got this extension that goes out to like 16 feet. It's kind of wobbly when you get 16. But I'm just going like this. In less than an hour, I had this side painted. He goes, holy cow. You saved me about six weeks of work, son. I said, okay, Dad. I said, I'm going the other side. No, no, you sit down. You need to sit down. It's too hot. I said, Dad, it'll take me 30 minutes. So I go to the other side. He can't even get around there. It's too far. So I go over and paint and come back, and I'm hot and sweaty. He's like, done so soon? Yeah, Dad. So the next day, I said, I'm going to put a second coat. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. I said, Dad. So I get up there, and it takes me an hour. I finish the second coat. 
Dad thanked me three or four times that day. I can't believe you did that for me. I called him this morning. Thanks for painting my house, son. He said, tell Janie, thanks for letting you come up here and paint my house. I said, I'll thank her, Dad. There's more to life than going to work. There's more to life than driving a nice car. I think. I hadn't tried that yet, but um, I've got a Dave Ramsey car. I know that's right, baby. Stephen Curtis Chapman has a song. It's called More to This Life. There's more to this life than living and dying. More than just trying to make it through the day. There's more to life, men. And I'm not saying that it's easy. It's not. Jesus Christ will tell you it's not easy. But it's worth it. There's one more clip I want you to see. And then we're going to wrap this up. Go ahead. After the beheading, William Wallace's body was torn to pieces. His head was set on London Bridge. His arms and legs sent to the four corners of Britain as a warning. It did not have the effect that Longshanks planned. And I, Robert the Bruce, rode out to pay homage to the armies of the English king and accept his endorsement of my crown.
patriots of Scotland, starving and outnumbered, charged the fields of Bannockburn. They fought like warrior poets. They fought like Scotsmen. And won their freedom. My dad told me what kept him going on Guadalcanal was, I'm going to try to take as many of them with me as I can. If I've got to give my life, I want to take as many as I can. Well, I don't, I don't want to kill people. I want to take as many people with me to heaven as I can. And there is a battle going on for our children, for our nation. I'm asking some of you men to help me. We have women serving all over the place. We don't have enough men. It's time for the men to stand up.